Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 283 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I had a wonderful conversation with Valda Bailey. Valda is a UK photographer specializing in intentional camera movement and multiple exposure work, which she often combines as part of her workflow. It was great to hear about her creative process and techniques. I hope that this inspires many listeners to get out there and give her techniques a try. Before we get started, I want to tell you again about Nature Photographers Network. It has been awesome seeing the NPN community grow over the last couple of months. There have been lots of new members who are thoughtfully and civically engaging with each other over on the critique forums, of which there are categories specific to landscape, abstract, macro, flora, nightscape, and wildlife. Something for everyone. There's also an awesome weekly challenge every week, which is forcing me to dive into my archives again, and that's a lot of fun. Lastly, there's some absolutely awesome articles being written by some of the industry's best writers, including Eric Bennett, Sarah Marino, Cody Schultz, and then this other guy, Matt Payne. (laughs) Anyways, I'd love to see you over there. You can join NPN for just $49 per year by going to npn.link forward slash f-stop. That's npn.link forward slash f-stop. You can also get 10% off your subscription by using the code f-stop10. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get to the show. Alda Bailey, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's lovely to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a a big thrill and a great honor. Wonderful. We could finally make this work out. (laughs) We're we're both very busy people, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it seems. And of course, the time difference um, doesn't really facilitate things, does it? Yeah, it it definitely always makes it challenging because it's either too early for me or too late for you. So, but we, we found a time and we're making it go of it. So I think you've been recommended uh, for the podcast by multiple people, but for sure, I think more recently was uh, Rachel Talibart. Oh, that's kind of Rachel. I shall, um, I shall email her and thank her for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first, let me just say you have a lot of really fantastic images and um, you've got a lot of really unique, uh, a, a unique style, I would say. So that's pretty awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, for people that uh, that aren't familiar with you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, my name is uh, Valda Bailey. Um, I'm 63 years old. Uh, I live in East Sussex in uh, England uh, with my husband and two dogs. Three dogs. Three dogs. We've now got three dogs. That's why we had to cancel <laughs> the last one. <laughs> New puppy arrived. Um, so dogs outnumber humans in our in our household by a ratio of three to two, uh, for reasons unclear. Um, we don't have kids. <laughs> That's probably why. Um, I've been creative all my life, actually. Um, and my first love was was art, actually painting. Um, I've mm. painted for as long as I can remember. Uh, ever since I could hold a paintbrush, um, I've had this urge to make art. Um, photography came along when I was about 12, 13. Obviously, it was a dark room back then. Um, but I embraced it with, with uh, great enthusiasm. And um, 
uh, spent several years learning about shutter speeds and all the usual. Spent several years, uh, spent several years learning about um, shutter speeds and apertures and, and that sort of thing, and um, uh, created a dark room in the downstairs loo, as many people did. And I carried on um, with that for for several years, but life sort of got in the way in my twenties, and I just put it aside. I did go to art college and wanted to be a graphic designer uh, or more specifically actually a cartoonist for many years but, but oh. then a graphic designer um but that sort of didn't work out for one reason or another um and i took up i came back to photography i suppose when digital was becoming a sort of reality a viable reality anyway and um one of my uh, a friend of mine recommended Flickr to me he said oh it's great you know you should get your work on there and people say nice things and um, so I joined up and um, I found that it was a lot of fun. I learned a huge amount. Um, but very quickly, um, I realized that the stuff I was producing, although people were saying nice things about it, it really wasn't very different to mm. anything anybody else was producing. It was just the same old stuff. It was replication without any um, any input from me. So I started casting around for it for a different uh, a different approach, really, um, and um, eventually I sort of found my way to intentional camera movement, and then subsequently multiple exposure. Um, and now uh, I spend most of my time teaching. Um, this way of shooting has really uh, developed momentum. It's it's having a bit of a moment, I suppose. Uh, I've got various theories as to why that might be so, um, but the net result is that I'm incredibly busy passing uh, on my <laughs> um hard-won knowledge to other people which is great but it, uh, it, it it leaves very little time for my own work um which is a drawback but i mean i i feel like uh especially on the multiple exposure side of things if someone is looking to um, create work that's super different and unique that's and personally expressive that seems like it would be a very worthwhile pursuit. And I personally would have no idea where to start. <laughs> well, I think the most, the hardest thing to get your head around with multiple exposure, the techniques themselves can be picked up relatively easily once you understand the principles of how blend modes work. And it's not a million miles from how layers are blended in Photoshop. Um, but then you get beyond that and the difficulty really begins because there's absolutely no point in making multiple exposures just for the sake of it. You know, we all know that we can superimpose a geranium on top of St Paul's Cathedral if we want to, but the question is why would you do it? So there has to be a really sort of fundamental reason why, you know, you're approaching it, uh, this, this type of photography, um, you know, just to sort of um, append it on top of an average image as a creative conceit, if you like, is not going to improve the image at all. You know, you need to have some some reason for doing it. Um, and my specific reason is when I first started playing around with um, blend modes, etc., um, I discovered that um, the way they work blocks out certain areas of, of what the camera is seeing and creates an all, certainly an abstract image, but, but more specifically, it's an element of cubism, I guess. Um, three-point perspective is almost disappears. You get this flat plane. Um, it becomes very painterly, for want of a better word. Um, and it enables you to tease something out of nothing, if you like. You can create 
interesting or potentially interesting abstractions out of something as mundane as I don't know, shadow on a wall. Um, so, you know, there are all sorts of challenges certainly involved shooting this way. Um, but I think making images where the technique doesn't speak too loudly uh, is probably the most difficult um, mm. to, 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 to get your head around. Right, because uh, most people, especially for, especially when I'm looking at ICM and, and a lot of multiple exposure work, if you can tell that that's what it is, a lot of times, it for me, it just kind of, I don't know, it just loses its magic. It's just like, oh, it's that, that's what it is. And you can't look beyond. So for me, anyway, like I can't see beyond what it actually, what else it's trying to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Well, if you can sort of count the repetitions of the church spire or the gate or whatever, you know, there's nine of them across the field, you know, it, it's kind of failed. I and mean, it took me a long time to, to, to realize that actually I was so um, enamored of uh, the way it was uh, producing these incredible images with all sorts of uh, different shapes and colors and, and what have you, and allowing me to be creative in a way that I hadn't known before with photography. But it took me a long time to realize that, you know, you kind of got, got to get beyond that and see see what else is there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that I get introduced to so many diverse photographers and artists. And as we've been talking, uh, your work is so much different than the majority of the work of most traditional landscape and nature photographers. Can you talk a bit about how you've arrived at that unique place with your work? Well, when I was on Flickr and searching for a, a direction. I mean, I, I started off making very predictable images of, sort of chocolate box sunsets and puppies and flowers, macro flowers. All, and that's not to denigrate people who still, you know, who shoot that way. Um, sure. But it just was, wasn't very satisfying for me because there are a lot of people out there making better images, certainly, than I was. And, and um, I just didn't feel there was a way forward. I was desperately trying to find a way to make images that were unique, uh, that couldn't necessarily be replicated easily. So I, I took a sort of sideways step and, and pursued street photography um, mm. for several years. Um, and I went off to learn from the best. I had two workshops with Jay, uh, Jay Maisel in New York when he was at the Bowery. Um, and I suppose I was attracted to Jay's work um, partly because he's a wonderful colorist and his work is, is, is quite graphic. And this is how I like to paint. I, I'm, I'm attracted to the, his bold use of colour. Uh, mm -hmm. The fact that he studied with Joseph Albert uh, as well was, was a big draw. Uh, but also, obviously, the reputation and going to the bank building and everything. And I learned so much uh, from those workshops and the lessons that remain with me, even though I've really sort of gone off on a tangent. I no longer pursue street photography. I found out, I don't know, about a year after doing my final workshop with him, that I haven't got the personality for street photography at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the ethics of it kind of bother me. Um, I live in a uh -huh. tiny village, and you know, if I lurk behind a lamppost in a, a sort of main main street, um, I'm likely to get arrested. And certainly, um, right. you know, the de decisive moment is not going to happen anytime soon because. Right. Nothing, nothing happens at all. Um, so there's, that, various... there's that creepy Valda lady again. <laughs> Long lens. Um, so for various reasons, I mean, I still like to shoot portraits when, when, when I travel. Um, but then there's the whole 
cultural cultural appropriation thing as well so you know mm. so many questions to sort of toss and turn in the, at three o'clock in the morning about you know what you're doing um yes. so I, I i thought well there's got to be something else and i decided that maybe a sort of abstract kind of landscape photography be, might be a way forward um and then i got introduced to icm by a photographer whose work i admire enormously called chris freel uh and I saw a picture of his in a magazine, um, a photography magazine, and it literally, it was a light bulb moment. It stopped me in my tracks. It was little more than uh, three or four blocks of colour, almost like a Rothko painting. And I looked at it and I thought, well, that, that can't be a photograph. I mean, that, that you know, it's a painting. So I read the article, uh, discovered that he was doing something called intentional camera movement and changing his white balance settings to get these you know, blocks of red and all sorts of crazy colours. And I sort of half-heartedly played around with long shutter speeds and moving the camera and quite liked what I was getting, but I didn't think it was legitimate at all. I didn't think I could, you know, I'm not allowed to do this. This is not, you know. But then here, here it was being sort of um, featured in a magazine and um, championing, championed for, you know, to the hills, and, and rightly so, because his work is stunning. So I got in touch with, or I tried, I read about him and, uh, I needed to find out as much as I could very quickly, which is how I got in touch with the person I now teach with, Doug Chinnery, because he was teaching ICM or Chris's techniques. So I went along to learn about that. And um, from the outset, I was absolutely hooked because it was unpredictable, it was incredibly difficult, and it was a way of making images that I felt were unique to me. Mm. Multiple exposure came along uh, maybe a year or so later. And again, it was Chris who first discovered the capabilities in the Canon 5D Mark III, I think it was. Uh, they introduced blend modes, um, but he wasn't using them in the, in the way that Canon had intended. Um, I guess when they put the blend modes in, they sort of put them there in order that people could make that sort of classic shot of a tennis player with the ball repeated in a perfect arc as they make their shot or a oh, golfer right, right, right. but he turned it on his head he subverted it as chris always does uh, and and discovered that you could use it really creatively uh so again another light bulb moment and and i was just away i thought oh, this is this is fantastic and it still remains an incredibly exciting way to shoot and enormously challenging as well i i remember the uh the first time i was introduced to icm it was a little bit different this was like back in 2011, probably. And uh, I found a Flickr group called Camera Toss. And it, oh, right. was, liter yeah, it was literally like you throw Enjoy. your camera and see what happens. See what happens. Yes, I've come across that. Um, it's not for the faint hearted, is it? No, like I would never do that now. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think back then I was I had a relatively inexpensive camera. I was like, oh, why not? <laughs> see what happens. But it's kind of the same idea except yeah. you know you're, you're throwing your camera instead of holding on to it still but yeah i mean there, there is a uh, there, there is a strong element of unpredictability with yeah. both approaches but it is controllable to a certain degree so you can sort of i mean i suppose the classic thing with with icm is, is going into a woodland and, and panning the camera up and right. down or going to the coast and doing side to side and that's very easy and it's very predictable and you're going to get nice soft pretty colors but of course everybody's done it and it's sort of a bit old hat now it's when you move beyond that that the difficulties really start and and, and also the fun and when you yeah. combine 
ICM with multiple exposure, then that takes it to a whole other level. Right, next level. When you say uh, that's when the challenge begins, what what are some of the concepts in ICM that are more advanced? Because I've never moved beyond the whole like <laughs> up and down. Like just, side yeah, side. like oh, that, you know, because I, I I photograph a lot of. Um, here in Colorado, I photograph a lot of trees in autumn, and so you can get some really interesting colors and shapes with, you know, green and yellow and gold, and you get the the white trunks, and so that can be kind of a neat effect, but I've never really tried anything beyond that. Maybe maybe a couple of times I've tried something side to side at a sunset or something like that, but yeah. Well, I suppose, I mean, it's, it's got to be down to how long the shutter is open, and, and and how you move the camera because I mean, white balance I suppose is something else that you could uh, one could play with but um, starting out as most people do you know up and down or side to side obviously within the, the the time frame that the shutter is open maybe one to two seconds there's any number of ways that you can move the camera sure. uh, and um, I suppose I like to start off by how, holding the camera relatively still so some fairly recognizable fairly recognizable elements get laid down first and then moving the camera away upwards downwards side to side um zoom burst probably not because that was a thing back in you're probably too young to remember this but back in the (laughs) it was in the 80s or the 90s everybody was doing these sort of zoom burst things where they'd keep Uh the shutter open and, and, and you know zoom in or zoom out and you get this very sort of mechanical look um, it was a thing for a while, but it, it, again, it's a bit of a cliche. Yeah, I used to do so- that with uh, night photography. I would mm-hmm. do a, like a thirty-second exposure and then slowly turn the the you know. Well, if zoom. you if you turn if you turn and zoom, then it, it's less apparent. I think it's when you just do one movement that it can it looks a bit strange. But sure. um, I'm sure there are plenty. I say I don't wish to denigrate anybody's approach, but uh, I, I find that. I, the images are more successful when I'm more creative with with the moving. And obviously, if you're hmm. looking at your whatever is taking your interest, uh, even within with the same shutter speed, a second and a half, which way you move the camera has a huge bearing on how the image is going to turn out. If you move it up to the sky, you're going to get one look. If you move it down downwards to the ground, something else is going to happen, uh, completely different. So there are any number of, of possibilities, but I suppose that's also when the difficulties start because up and down and side to side is quite controllable. But when you're dealing with with diagonals and all sorts of different shapes and perhaps clutter in the foreground and all all that sort of, um, all the detail that you might get in a, in a conventional landscape or a busy landscape, that's when issues can arrive and and arise. and, And obviously the image is, is not controllable. You, you, you know, it, it does rely on serendipity to a greater or lesser degree. I find ICM on its own is quite limiting. I like to combine it with multiple exposure. So in order to bring in a little bit of blur or um, maybe cut through some of the sharp details that the multiple exposure sequence has laid down, one shot in the sequence with a slow shutter speed can introduce an interesting effect. So I tend to use it more often in conjunction with multiple exposure rather than on its own. Gotcha. Not to stay too much more on the technical side of things, but I guess I feel like 
uh, as someone who doesn't do a lot of that type of work, where I typically get lost or maybe stuck creatively is, you know, you approach a scene that you feel like might have some uh, promise in terms of those types of techniques. But what is going through your mind as a as a creative person? I know you said there's some serendipity involved, but I also believe there's probably a little bit of pre-visualization about kind of how can I combine these different things and and what that what can what am I imagining that final result to sort of be like? So how do you know like you're looking at a scene and you're like I'm gonna do this 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 and this and it's gonna do that? You know what? Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. Um, and sometimes it works like that, and sometimes it doesn't. I think one of the biggest mistakes that, that people make when they come along in our workshops and, and are taking it up perhaps for the first time is, is they go out into a landscape with their camera, with their landscape photographer's hat on, conventional landscape photographer's hat on, and shoot in the same way. And the chances are that the resulting image is either going to look a, like a conventional shot with a technique plonked on the top or something that is so hopelessly jumbled and chaotic um, that there, you know, no, no amount of um, post-processing is ever going to save it. So uh, there are three things, I think, that are important for me when I go out to shoot. Uh, one is, is um, simplicity. Whatever I choose, I would much rather choose something that is very, very simple I mean, almost to the point of being really quite mundane. It needs really to have a fair amount of contrast in order that the blend modes have got something to work with as they're going through the sequence. So you're either shooting with light blend mode where the lighter tones are prioritised through the sequence or you're shooting in dark blend mode where the darker tree, uh, darker um, elements are um, prioritised through a sequence. So if you imagine some silhouetted trees against a bright white sky in dark mode, those trees would be repeated. But in bright mode, because the camera is prioritising brighter tones, the, the clouds would cut into the trees and you'd get something completely different. Um, so something that's quite contrasty uh, works, is much easier because I've got a fair idea of what the camera's going to do. And that's not to say that I don't shoot things with mid-tones that predominantly have mid-tones, but that's when uh, the process becomes more difficult, more unpredictable. Um, There are happy surprises, but there are an awful lot of failures. So uh, contrast, um, simplicity. The reason that I, I choose something very simple is because as I'm working through the sequence, as a rule of thumb, but not always, it depends on the settings that you uh, invoke on the camera. But generally, as you work through the sequence, the resulting image as it's building up is becoming busier or more and more uncontrollable. Um, you're sort of losing your original idea. But if you start off simply, it's much easier to add in more stuff, if you like, <laughs> whatever, mm-hmm. you know, a tree, a flower, or you know, um, than it is to take it out. It certainly can be done with the right blend mode and the right tonal values, but it's much easier if you if you start off very simply. And, and when I say simply, I mean something as simple as maybe a crack in a pavement where the, the dark shadow meets the, the bright stone and just sort of playing with that. Uh, and obviously I'm speaking from my perspective of the kind of images that, that I like to make. Obviously sure. um, other people have different ideas. Um, and the other, the, other, uh, the other element that is important is is time. It's a different approach to conventional photography. 
it needs an investment of time because there are myriad settings on the camera that I can choose and play around with and combine with other settings. And I never, I don't know in advance that it's going to be bright mode, it's going to be five exposures, it's going to be, you know, ICM at the end, ICM at the beginning, I'm going to change the, the, white, the white balance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's without even thinking, well, I can point the camera here and I can point it there and I can point it up to the sky and down to the floor. The number of possibilities are, are limitless, frankly. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's one of the joys, but it's also one of the frustrations because there are so many decisions that are available to you um, when you're out in the landscape. Yeah, what uh, what role does focal length play? Because I, I'm imagining that if the longer your focal length is, the more sensitive the resulting image is going to be to movement, um, but also gives you a little bit more control in terms of what's in the frame. So I'm curious kind of what your thought process is on that. I would say that um, 80 to 90% of my images are taken with a 70 to 300 millimeter lens uh, that uh, is on the camera and um, usually at the long end because the amount of real estate that I'm dealing with is is much less. I'm interested in abstraction. Um, I like making images where there is something that perhaps has an element of recognizability, but a strong degree of abstraction. And so I can zoom in onto a busy scene into something that is really perhaps contrasty, interesting in shape or, or whatever, uh, and and exploit that rather than having a 24 millimeter, which is sort of filled up with, with mountains and trees and lakes and flowers and all that sort of stuff that's going to make it incredibly difficult. Having said that, uh, there are occasions when I'll go out and shoot a, a cityscape or a landscape, um, seascape, and I'll, I'll use a wide angle. So, um, and I suppose like most people, it's, it, it's always good to challenge yourself. It's I know, I know what a seventy to three hundred is going to do. It's sort of relatively easy to zoom in. Um, you've got to go out and get out of your comfort zone now and again and put something else on the on the camera. Um, it's just that you need to be aware of different things when you've got a, a wider um, viewpoint. Brilliant. And uh, again, not to belabor the technical side, but I I'm just trying to channel some of the questions some people might be having as they're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of multiple exposure work, um, are you f- using the Canon system to do that? I've got the, the Canon mirrorless. Um, yeah, I've got the EOS uh, R5, I think. I'm sorry, I'm really bad with, with, yeah, uh, no. with gear. <laughs> no, you're good, because uh, I don't yeah, the think my camera does that. So that's why I was Which asking. Which one are you shooting with? I have... Um, a Sony A7R2 and a Sony A7R4. No, the Sony, the so, so Sony absolutely don't. They're a bit of an outlier, along with Leica and Hasselblad. And, you know. yeah. um, but just about all the you know, Nikon and, or Nikon and um, Fuji or oh, have some sort of system. But for Sony resolutely don't. There was a time when they were they opened the system up to third-party apps, I think, and there was a multiple exposure app, I but it was horrible. It was, yeah. it was buggy. It was it was just awful. I, I had a Sony at the time, and, and I couldn't get on with it. And then, so, is um, your is your R five are those imi- are those resulting files are those raw files as well? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, um, awesome. the Fuji only saves as a JPEG, which is a shame, and I don't know why they took that decision. They recently uh, brought in blend modes, and we've had so many students who use Fuji. And they're like, why can't I shoot raw? (laughs) A lot of people um, wrote to Fuji and say, look, come on, you've got to up your game here. And they did. They introduced the blend modes, but 
for reasons unclear, even on their high-end uh, 100 GFX, it saves as a, a JPEG, which I don't know. I don't understand it. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Well, we don't have to talk about all that. I was just super curious about that because mm-hmm. I'm guessing if someone like me is like, oh, I want to try that, and then they get home, they look at their camera right. like, I don't have that. <laughs> No, you kind of can't. What you can do, you can get an app for an iPhone. um, And one of the favorite ones that we use is called Photo Split. um, Mm. It's 99 cents. And it's got about 16 blend modes. You can play around till the cows come home with it. And it's great fun. Mm. Uh, And the images blow up beautifully. Um, So, I mean, there are ways. And I suspect that a Sony photographer could do it all in post using blend modes and Photoshop and things like that. But it, that's an interesting point, actually, because when um, uh, the multiple when I saw Chris's work and I thought, well, goodness me, what what was he doing here? I knew that he didn't use Photoshop at the time, but he was creating images that that had this strange, strangely sort of cubist element. I got in touch and found out that he got this new Canon. I was shooting with Nikon at the time; didn't have the facility at all. And I thought, well, that's fine. I can yeah, I can do it in Photoshop. Um, and I found after about six months of trying that the images I was making um, were very, um, they were lacking in spontaneity. Um, they were mm. contrived. They were overworked. Now, mm-hmm. it was probably at the time it was my shortcoming in, in Photoshop, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot more now than I did then, although I was fairly competent. Um, but I think it was a case of having too many choices. I mean, we all know that creativity thrives on boundaries. And at least when I'm out in the camera, I've, out with the camera, I've got some boundaries, not many. Uh, but in Photoshop, I can import any one of, I don't know, I've only got about 12,000 images in Lightroom, which is not that many by many people's standards. But any of those can be brought in and layered in any order. <clears> There's <throat> 26 Uh-oh. blend modes. You can change the opacity. You can flip them upside down, back to front, inside out. Where do you stop? Where do you start? Where do you draw the line? Uh, and I was tying myself in knots, trying to make something work. Uh, and failing miserably. Even now, um, I have had a Fuji in the past, and I've tried combining straight files, if you, if you like, and I just haven't managed to get a degree of spontaneity in there. And as, For me, I've got to start the, the image in camera. It just doesn't work otherwise. There may be others who, can, you know, who are more skilled. So the, the limitations that... I have with my camera. Um, I mean, I'm not particularly constrained because there are a lot of decisions that I can make, but at least I do have some constraints. And so for me, uh, I have to, uh, the, the most successful images I make have, have always, always been started in camera and the composition is sort of 80% there in, in camera. I'm, I'm, I'm not averse to playing with colour and shape in, in post-processing, uh, do whatever needs to be done. But I do want to get the sort of groundwork done in camera. Um, there may be others who are sort of more skilled yeah. in Photoshop who, who do it differently, but that's how it works for me. And also, you, you know, it's time spent in front of the computer. It's much nicer to be out in the landscape or wherever. Right. And I suppose there's a, something to be said for seeing the end result right there on the screen of your camera too. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And you sort of, you can work towards something. I sort of, if something takes my fancy or takes, uh, takes my interest, uh, I'll sit there for, for maybe an hour working through all the different options. And obviously I've got from two to nine exposures. I've got 
effectively there are three different blend modes that I can use. Um, I can change the white balance. I can introduce some ICM. I can change my focal uh, length and move the camera in different directions. Uh, and I, I want to work through all the possibilities. And the idea that I originally sat down with may or may not pan out as I'd hoped, but mm. it, it's just as likely that something else may suddenly bubble up that I hadn't expected. Uh, and for me, that's where the really exciting stuff starts to happen is when you get these happy surprises and just work work on those and, and sort of see how you can develop them. Brilliant. Well, I want to go back to something you said earlier that I made a mental note of. And um, you had said that um, one of the reasons why you started uh, experimenting with ICM and multiple exposure is that you felt like you wanted um, a way to make more unique images that were different than what other people were creating. And um, I just wanted to ask, what is it about uniqueness and um, you differentiating yourself that that was important to you on this journey? That sounds quite self-absorbed when you put it like that, doesn't it? <laughs> self-important. <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. I think, I mean, honestly, I feel like when you, you reach a certain point in photography, I think everyone starts to have these thoughts. So I, I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose the issue is that, you know, I can go to, you know, we can all jump on a plane and go to the acknowledged honeypot locations, if you like, beauty spots, wherever. But you can guarantee that there will be somebody who's who's been there with better light, with a bigger sensor, a better camera, a sturdier tripod, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, a better eye. Um, so it's it's not just the fact it's not it's certainly not the fact that I want to be different um, at all. In fact, as I get older, I'd much rather blend in with the crowd. But it is about <laughs> making images that <laughs> um, how can I put this that that have got. I have to be very careful because I, I, I don't want to um, I don't want to imply that conventional photography doesn't have the same offer the same opportunities. But with this way of shooting, I can bring much more of myself to the image and I can let my imagination roam. And I but maybe that's what it is. It's the imagination uh, all the time that I was doing art at school and, 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 and art college, etc. Uh, it was imaginative drawing and painting that, that really fired me up using my imagination to tell stories and take myself off on a journey. And conventional photography, landscape photography maybe, didn't really offer me that in the same way that this approach does. Um, I mean, now that you know, I've taught so many people, there are a lot of people doing this now. Um, and of course, it, it, it's more difficult to set yourself apart. So I, I, I can't, I don't think that's necessarily the, uh, the main objective. It, it's, it's more about allowing my imagination to roam, allowing myself to play and experiment and going somewhere uh, with the attitude of, um, you know, what if, what if I do that? What if I do that? Not you should. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, well, let me try that. I wonder what would happen if. And that playful uh, approach is something that I really enjoy. Uh, creatively, I, I find it very satisfying. It's frustrating. Um, it's a lot more difficult for me, anyway, than the conventional approach. Um, and um, I just sort of feel like I'm, I'm never going to stop learning. Yeah. Well, and I don't, I know you had some 
hesitation or trepidation there in terms of how you responded to the question, because I think there is a tendency for people listening to other uh, photographers talk about what they like and then feeling personally attacked like, well, I do it this way and, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, and I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. We're just offering you a different approach if you want to try something else. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that absolutely. It, it's it, it, photography is a broad church and it's open to so many different approaches, never more so than now. Uh, and, um, I think perhaps one of the reasons why a more conventional approach doesn't work with me is 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 all the kit that you're supposed to have i'm I'm very clumsy when it, it comes to gear and lugging a tripod around and checking tide tone t- tables and and uh, seeking whether where the sun's going to be on the third thursday in february at two o'clock all that sort of stuff <laughs> but, but, but many photographers do so well and and really enjoy um i just find it a big yawn it's not for me i just like to rock up somewhere um you know i don't care what the weather's like i don't know i want to go in there fresh no idea of what I'm going to shoot or what I'm going to find or what I'm going to say. It will depend on the kind of mood that I, you know, I am, I'm in or what was on the news, whether that sort of pissed me off or, um, you know, all, all this sort of stuff um, is, is going to feed into the, the images that I make. It's not mm-hmm. about, I'm going to say replicating what's in front of me. And I know that sounds pejorative and I know that's, you know, photographers do more than that, but this is, it, it's, it's about different decisions um, and different, mm-hmm. um, different skills, if you like. No, I mean, you can probably see the stuff behind me like that. My, my, the majority of my photography is more replication of what's in front of me. And I don't, I didn't take offense to what you said at all. Okay. Um, and I admire, well, I admire that. And I've got, you know, I have that, that kind of work on my walls as well. So it's not that, you know, I've, I've got an issue with it, but just for me, it's not how I want to shoot well, and I and I want to say that uh, for my for my own work that uh, you know I have been struggling with that my in my my own photography in terms of wanting to uh, differentiate myself in some other ways other than oh I went to a really pretty spot and I composed it fairly well and I had really nice conditions and. I technically executed everything the way you're supposed to. Um, that's yeah. great. But like that, I think, you know, it's, it does become harder and harder to put more of yourself into those types of images. And um, at least for me, and uh, you know, I think trying to explore other avenues of creative expression, whether that be through ICM or multiple exposure or, smaller scenes or um what have you i think i think that is part of the really fun part of the journey of photography is that it's endless in possibilities and what you can learn and what you can try and and what it does for you as a person yeah i agree i mean i think we're just incredibly lucky to um to have so many options available to us uh, more so than than ever before it's uh I mean, I suppose if you look back at how it was 40 years ago, um, there were different challenges, you know, with a film, for example, black or white of colour, and you have to decide on the speed of the film and light meter, you know, all sorts of things that, that we perhaps don't have to trouble ourselves with now. So a lot of the challenges that we used to have 
as photographers are now gone. And also added to that fact is the fact is that everybody can jump on a plane and, and get to most of these places now. It's become a lot more affordable and obviously discounting the last couple of years and what we've been through. Uh, and social media means that everybody shares that stuff. So one's work gets can get lost in a sea of um, other people's photographs. Um, but I, I don't, I mean, that shouldn't lessen the satisfaction that you have with one, one has with one's own work, I don't think, just because other people are doing it. We're, we all sort of see these things differently, don't we? And we all have different challenges. Um, We're all in a different part of the, of the journey too, for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if I, if I went 10 years ago and heard myself say what I just said, I'd be like, uh, there's no way. <laughs> like I can make this kind of work for the rest of my life and be so, super happy. And, you know, yeah. you would change as people and that's a good thing. And I think, I think also it's um, uh, circumstance as well. Uh, you know, if I lived in Yosemite or, or, or somewhere like that, um, then I might be doing something very, very different. And uh, similarly, if I lived in New York, I might still be a street photographer. Uh, but the fact is that, that I don't. And, and a lot of my time is spent at home and I'm, I'm very much a home, home bird. I like to be here. So I want to find a way of making images that satisfy me uh, where, where I am, close to home. I, you know, it's, it's, time is finite. And I have to say, that the older you get, the more finite it becomes. So I'm very much aware that I want to spend the time that I have um, as efficiently as I can, uh, and and shooting this way allows me to to um, create all sorts of um, imaginative stories, if you like, uh, around around my own home, in my mm -hmm. own environment. Great. Well, I want to shift back a little bit to kind of your mindset when you're um, making the images, and talk a little bit about. Um, the why of your decision making, um, because I, uh, in our correspondence, you talked a little bit about the importance of thinking about why we make certain creative decisions versus others. And I'm curious um, for you, like, what are some of the considerations that drive your thinking in terms of why you make various decisions in the field or in editing um, in terms of maybe changing white balance or what you're going to blend together or things of that nature. Okay. Uh, so I suppose I'm driven by um, what I find aesthetically pleasing in, in my, when I'm, when I'm shooting, sorry, I'm hesitating here. Um, I'm just thinking about, I then went on to think about the, the artwork and the photographs that, uh, that I like to look at from other people and they're not necessarily mm or not at all, actually, in the style that I shoot. So that's a whole other thing. But I'm, I'm aware that, and it's taken me a long time to realise this, uh, I sort of think that one is hardwired to be a certain way, and certainly by the time you get to 63, <laughs> um, it, it, it's quite tough to change. And, and the fact that I wanted to be a graphic designer and or a, a cartoonist um, probably explains why the images I make, I make are fairly graphic, um, perhaps lacking in subtlety. I use really bold colours. I like strong contrasts. I like bold shapes. Um, and I just 
you know, I look at other people's work, and as I say, the work that I have on the walls from, from other people, um, I think, gosh, what, you know, why can't I do that? I look at black and white images. Most of the work in my studio that I collect, probably 80% of it is black and white. And I think, well, yeah, why, why shouldn't, why don't I do this? But as long as I can remember, I've been driven by colour, playing with colour. And perhaps this is one of the real attractions of, of, of this way of shooting, the fact that I can create any colour palette I want. Obviously, changing a white balance in camera will get me so far, um, but it tends to produce a, a fairly limited colour palette. You get sort of blues and pinks in one blend mode or, or greens and turquoises in another. But it's when I get into Lightroom uh, and or Photoshop uh, that um, I can really let my imagination go and start experimenting. And I'm very fond of saying that shooting this way, I'm not constrained by the fact that the grass has to be green or the sky has to be blue. It doesn't need to be that way. Um, you know, you've only got to look at Van Gogh and, and you'll realise that, that he wasn't constrained that way either. You know, paint the grass red if, if need be. Um, and um, for me, that is the most uh, exciting part of, of the journey, if you like, playing with, with colour, uh, seeing how one colour reacts with a with another colour and um, just changing colour perception is something that, that I'm really interested in. I mentioned Joseph Albert um, and um, he's written extensively on this and how editing an image, maybe one part of an image, just changing the colour in a certain way, maybe the, uh, the tone, the, the hue or the, the saturation, the luminosity, whatever it is, can all of a sudden change the way your eye travels around the, the frame, around the, the scene. Uh, it can change the feel of an image. It can change uh, the, the, um, the way we react to it. Uh, colour as metaphor, for example. I mean, uh, I suppose an obvious example is um, Picasso and his blue period and where he used the colour blue to denote um sort of melancholy and depression and, and that is also something that, that I'm really um, interested in. A, a more conventional photographer has fairly tight limits on how much they can move the sliders in post-processing if they want to be taken seriously because they're purporting to tell the truth. Um, but of course I'm not, you know, not for one minute am I telling the truth. This is an imaginative journey. So um, when I go out I suppose all this is in my mind, you know, how can I exploit what what, what it is that I'm, I'm looking at, whether it's um, a fountain or, or a branch or, or a sort of luminous green leaf backlit by the sun, um, maybe the curve of the leaf. It's only got to be one very small element, just a sort of beautiful shape or uh, the luminance, luminous intensity of, uh, we've got a um, beautiful tree outside our uh, catalpa, which is an Indian bean tree, great big luminous uh, green leaves and the sun shines through them. And I never tire of sort of photographing them. If you sort of lie down and you see the sun come through and the veins of the, they're probably not called veins, are they? I'm not a gardener. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> um, but anyway, the contrast and the way the light sort of works, utterly fascinating. And I could go out there, you know, every day and, 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 and tease something different out of it. And, and that's what really um, excites me, I suppose. Um, I love the challenge of trying to find something interesting and I know it's a bit of a cliche to say it but something interesting in the mundane but of course I can take it and make it something completely different it's going to be almost unrecognizable probably by the time I've finished it with it because of the decisions that I make and and it's uh, the one thing that that is quite um 
singular with this way of shooting, I think, is the fact that the decisions that I make as I work through uh, the sequence in camera, I don't, I and mean, we've spoken about pre-visualization or visualization, um, and I, I think it, it, that doesn't tend to work or it's perhaps not very compatible with this approach uh, because I allow myself to be led by, it's almost where the camera is taking me, you know, each decision that I make uh, as I'm building up my sequence, each decision I make when I'm taking the next shot as to what the settings are going to be is predicated on what the last decision has given me. So I see the image build up in front of me. And it's also the same in Photoshop. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on this journey, but the destination is unknown. It's almost like the picture is creating itself. Mm. I know it sounds a bit fanciful, but a, a bit like an abstract painter, I suppose, as they lay down the paint, they're possibly not entirely sure where they're going and they mm -hmm. allow themselves to be led and guided. Mm. That That is very... Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I was... I'm struggling with words for my follow-up question here um, because I I feel like it would be very easy for me to say something that would be quite offensive <laughs> to not oh, you, but do, other please. people. But, oh, um, I see. <laughs> but I feel like that sort of decision-making in terms of why you're changing different elements of a, of a scene in terms of color or shape is somehow different than if someone were to do that with a more traditional image to tease out, to make it just more in your face, like, wow, those flowers are really bright. Um, you know, like, and in reality, they weren't bright. And um, I just feel like, like, what you're describing is more, uh, I don't want to, this is going to sound so bad, but I feel like what you're describing has more intentionality and artfulness to it. Whereas what I just described is just like for maximum impact. And I find those to be different. <laughs> I'm curious well, if you think yeah, they're I mean, different at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly that, you know, there are people out there who photograph. And I think I used to do the same when I was in the early days of Flickr, um, you know, push the intensity up to the max for the most impact. Um, you know, the strawberry doesn't just have to be red. It's got to be super red. Um, and because I really like colour, uh, I enjoyed doing that, and I know a lot of people found that they were sort of overworked. Um, but even even then, there are sort of boundaries, really, aren't there, with 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 a conventional approach? Because you can sort of only take it so far if if you're trying to if you're purporting to tell the truth. Uh, you know, you 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 want it's it's partly subjective, I suppose. You know. Um, I mean, that's a magnificent uh, uh, landscape behind you. And I, I fully believe that the, the, the sky was were, were those colours. They, they're just magnificent. They really sort of sing. But um, I can see how some people might be tempted to just take the slider, you know, a little bit further than it needs to go. And I suppose we will have to make our own decisions about um, where to draw the line and where the boundaries are. And I think that's probably what is one of the hardest things about about what I'm doing, I don't have those constraints. Um, I've, mm -hmm. I've got the freedom to, to do whatever I like. But of course, with that freedom comes responsibility. And I have to make the elements within the frame, the formal elements, work together uh, in terms of balance or shape or harmony or discord or what, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to 
present, um, I've got to I've got to make it work for me anyway. Um, and and that is very difficult because, as I say, I'm not constrained by the, the grass being green or the sky being blue. I'm making all those decisions. I'm making it up as I go along. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost thinking of like a, an analogy with um, cooking, like a chef, like maybe mm-hmm. an, a, a beginner chef. They're just going to take a lemon and squeeze as much lemon juice as they possibly can on the salad so that it just smashes your taste buds with all that acidity. Whereas a mm-hmm. more refined chef might say, okay, I'm going to put a little bit of lemon. Oh, and I'm also going to add in a little bit of this. I'm going to add in a little bit of that so that it has this purposeful, tasty journey that's happening. Um, and I guess I feel like that's maybe the nuance here is that it's, if you're going to do something like that, maybe, I mean, I guess you don't, you can do whatever you want, obviously, but I feel like, having a little bit more purpose behind it is appreciated, I think, by viewers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I suppose that brings us onto the whole issue of of concept and and what it is you're trying to say with your work and do you need to be saying anything at all? um, Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, that's a whole can of worms, (laughs) Uh, isn't it? Uh, You know, do we write about the work? Do we explain it, Uh, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I mean, certainly... You know, as I've learned more and more about what I'm doing and uh, develop my ideas and uh, techniques, the work I'm making now is finally starting to make some sort of sense. But having said that, I'm very rarely, uh, I'm never 100% happy with what I produce. Um, it's, it's generally uh, a journey of frustration and disappointment, but I think that's true of uh, you know, a lot of people, um, we always look at what could have been better and, and, you know, what didn't quite work out. We sort of look at the faults rather than uh, what works about an image. Well, and, and I and I say all that with the caveat that I feel like even with my own photography, for the most part, I'm still the, I'm still the chef squeezing the lemon and then nothing else. So, like, I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else, but I do personally have a desire to move beyond that somehow in some way. And I think um, having something to aim for in terms of uh, the why you do something, I think that can be a helpful framework for people who are maybe growing thirsty for something else. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a question that, that comes up in the teaching all the time. Why, why, you know, why are we doing this? And I suppose in a very general sense, it's because I don't want to spend my declining years playing golf or growing geraniums. I mean, <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, I've always been moved to create. And if it wasn't this, it would be something else. It would, you know, I've done mosaics. I've, I've done, yeah, I've done cake decorating. I've done all sorts of different creative things. And it just so happens that it's, you know, this is sort of taken over my life. Um, but, uh, you know, the why, the, the story that you're trying to tell, the song you're trying to sing, if you like, it's only in recent, very recent years, actually, that I've seen threads, common threads throughout my work in the last you know, five years or so. There are things that I'm attracted to, things that I'm trying to say. I don't certainly don't feel the need to explain them, um, but it certainly helps me to know in a very loose sense, in a very broad sense, why, what it is I'm after. Yeah, yeah, Awesome. Well, kind of related to this, uh, you know, in, in our correspondence, you had mentioned that uh, conceptually driven work is 
quote, undoubtedly the way things are mostly done these days, end quote. And I think most traditional landscape photographers, especially here in the United States, probably wouldn't have a clue (laughs) what you mean by that. Um, And I was curious if you could talk a little bit more about uh, what you mean and why you feel that this is how things are, quote, mostly done. Okay, so, um, and again, I hope, I really don't want to offend conventional uh, landscape photographers no, at good. all. That's not not right. Um, I, I suppose I was referring to, to people whose work falls outside those boundaries, if you like. Um, if <laughs> I really don't want to mic this up, so I'm just being very careful how I phrase phrase myself. Um, if we perhaps put conventional photographers in a group who are taking images of something, you know, of a landscape, of a seascape, of a and I'm aware that there are nuances and, and it's it's not it's not that's an, a vast oversimplification. Um, and there's another group of photographers who make photographs about something. You know, they might be making photographs about gender issues or you know, political issues or uh, you know uh, women's rights. You know, there are any number of uh, political or quote unquote trendy causes that we can um, hook ourselves onto and and and, and you know. And it's the same with art as well. It's the same with painting. So, that you know, there, there is a vast amount of photography that sort of gets shown in galleries, etc., um, that has very wordy, very important statements of intent. Some might call it intellectual scaffolding to prop up, you know, what is possibly not the most visually exciting image. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. as long as it comes with, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm in danger of, so uh, alienating the, the the other side of the coin as well, the people on the other side. Um, wow, I mean, that's what we do on this but, show. We we uh, <laughs> we make sure that we 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 piss off everyone. So no, I'm just kidding. Yes, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think um, it's so, important to to you know like just say it how you see it. I personally, I mean, that's how I run things, and of course, it gets me into hot water all the time. But I, what you I just mean, said, it's, it's totally true. resonates with me. So. I mean, it's it's true. You, it, it depends. Uh, it depends on where you go to look at look at your art or, or your photography. Um, you know, if you go into some trendy gallery, London Gallery or New York, I guess um, chances are that you'll see work that isn't um, doesn't have immediate visual appeal. Um, I mean, Tim Parkin is always saying about beauty and how beauty has gone sort of out of fashion it's fallen out of fashion maybe it's not the same in the us but certainly over here in the uk uh, there's a strong sort of element um a strong belief that you know beauty is quite passe and the art that we make has to has to inform it has to raise awareness it has to be about an idea or a cause or something like that um and yeah i mean that that certainly one point of view but it it's also the the prevailing aesthetic i think um, in many circles, um, and I, I, I sort of get that, but I, I suppose, and this brings me on, I guess, to, to, to formalism, which I, I know you mentioned in your in your question. Yeah. I'm more driven by formalism than perhaps intellectual significance, and that is um, the most uh, the visual aspects, if you like, you know, the form, uh, the shape, the color, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the style, uh, textures, line, uh, and, and the way they work within the frame. Um, I think it was um, 
Clement Greenberg, um, who's a great supporter of, uh, he was an American writer, a great supporter of abstract expressionism, which is the kind of art that really resonates with me. Um, and he was a great supporter of, uh, or, or, or you know, proponent of, of formalism. Um, and it's, I suppose, directly opposite to the sort of intellectual approach where every artwork, photograph, artwork, I'm using the term inter interchangeably, is about something. And now whether it needs to be propped up by a wordy statement of intent is a whole other debate. Um, but um, I have to say that these are issues that absolutely fascinate me and sort of keep me awake in the night and uh, during our workshops. These are the kind of things that we discuss. We don't talk about gear at all, which is why I really didn't know what kind of camera I've got. You know, it's, it's this sort of stuff, you know, how much, um, you know, how should our work be judged? How should it be? How should it be valued? Can it be valued just on its basic attributes um, on the ideals of formalism, if you like, or um, does it also need to, you know, raise awareness, tell a story, etc. And there's no easy answer. There's no right or wrong. It's just, you know, one of, an endless debate. Personally, you know, I think it's important to ask those questions for yourself, right? Like, what do I want in my yeah. photography? And if you're perfectly content with one thing or another, that's fine, right? But, um, you know, I, rec <laughs> I recently wrote an article for Nature Photographers Network, um, and I purposely gave it sort of a little bit of a... Um, I don't know, controversial title. And I called it, uh, oh. is nature photography considered art? And, um, <laughs> you know, of course, like immediately people were like, how dare you even question this? Um, but, <laughs> but, but Provocative. The, point, the point that I was trying to make with the article is like, yes, of course, you know, pretty much anything can be considered art. I think the, yeah. the, the, the other, the real question is, um, how how can you make your art stand out or be better or what qualities can art have to make it achieve other things? And so I kind of narrowed it down to like kind of a, I don't know, like a cascading list of like things you can try to achieve with your photography. And I think this kind of gets to what we're talking about a little bit, but I um, like the kind of the baseline for most nature photographers is just pure representation of object or moment, right? That's, I think, mm. that's where you kind of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. I want to do something else, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's right, yeah. And, yeah, and then the next level is storytelling and emotional impact. Um, and then the next level is statements, which is like, like kind of what you were describing, like a powerful statement about a cause or a culturally relevant concern. Mm -hmm. The next level is metaphor, like symbolism and representation of something else. Um, the next one is kind of uniqueness, and then the the kind of the 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 other the last thing is like a realized purpose. So like if there's something you are trying to achieve with your work, have you achieved it? And if you're not, then you need to keep trying. So, mm -hmm. and I think you know, and. The argument I made is like 90% of my own work is just that first level. Um, and I still love it, right? Um, it doesn't make it bad photography. But, you know, if you want to do something else, there's ways you can think about that. That's right. And we've all got different objectives. We're all at a different point on a different journey. And some people are happy in, in the same groove, doing the same thing. And regardless of the kind of work that you make whether it's you what I do or what you do or you know if you keep on 
relying on the same ideas and churning out the same stuff. Um, some of us might say we're starting to self-plagiarize and we're, we're you know we're in a rut. Mm. Other people are more than happy to sort of stay in that groove, and and you know you, you can't really knock them for it. it it's 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 down to us to if we want to question where we're going and try to um, expand our thinking and our ideas, then then that's fine. But you know there are plenty of people who are very very happy doing what they're doing, and and they get a lot of pleasure out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well. From your perspective, if other people are trying to incorporate kind of these other ways of um, making their work different, uh, what are some actionable steps do you think that they can take? Gosh, that's a really hard question. (laughs) Um, To make their work uh, different, do you mean different to what it has been hitherto or different from everybody else? Or I mean, obviously to be different for its own sake is, is really a pretty hollow goal. Um, you know, mm. you don't just go out and say, oh, I'm going to be different today. Um, but you mean if they want to sort of expand their vision or, or um, develop ideas? Yeah, I think let's go with that. I think that's a great direction to take the question. Um, Although some would argue there's no such thing as artistic vision, but that's a whole other debate, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other debate. Um I think one of the best things that, that, that one can do is to, the brain is like a compost heap, you know, we've got to feed it, we've got to feed it all the time. You know, I remember when I was at um, Jay's, uh, Jay Maisel's workshop um, and somebody um, asked him, you know, how do I become a better photographer? And without missing a, a beat, he said, I'll become a more interesting person. And at the time, I mean, I was, you know, I was pretty meek and I didn't really know which way was up then and I just assumed that what he was referring to was somebody who has sparkling wit and, and repartee and is life and soul of the party. I thought, oh, Christ, that's me buggered then because I'm I, I'm a, I'm an introvert. Uh, yeah, I've got great conversation. I'm completely screwed. But of course, what he means is that you fill your head with ideas, you read, you expose yourself to all manner of visual arts, um, you read biographies, and you look at art, and you look at photographs. You go to galleries, museums, blah, 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 watch movies, um, fashion shows. I mean, it's all there. All this visual stimuli um is is there for us to 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 drink in and it's never been easier than now because it's all here at the click of a mouse we can just you know we can, all these we're almost you know it's almost there's too much stuff out there to 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 inspire us poetry novels um so that's the best way that i or the only way that i know um of of trying to get inspired to try new things look at other people's work and, and not with a view to oh well, i'm going to copy then but maybe there just might be a trigger an idea go on a workshop or try to look at things from a slightly different perspective or a completely different perspective if you either who's it said if you keep on doing what what you what you're doing you'll, you'll get what you've always got um just break out just for, for no apparent reason then it's different which goes against what i said just now about being different for the sake of it but you don't know where it might lead um right. you know it, it just might sort of trigger an idea and, and a direction um that or a groove that you sort of can pursue um yeah yeah i um i guess it was about three two years ago now i uh i bought my first drone and uh you know i i was before that i was very anti-drone like oh they're loud and I hate them, oh but, um, 
but I um I wanted to try it, and I got I gotta say that really has opened up a whole new world of you know possibilities in my photography, and I know I'm still mostly using it to do that kind of first level of you know documentation of moment or thing, but man, it it just it's so fun, <laughs> you know and. I, w- I would love to give it a go. I would love to do it, but I haven't. Yeah, I mean, imagine the perspectives you could get and then you do, like, mm-hmm. multiple exposures with drone images. I mean, it, it just opens a so whole So where do you take it? Where do you, where do you go with it? Uh, most of the time, most of my drone work is in the desert, um, like out in canyon country. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, vast deserts and canyons and huge sandstone walls and, away from any civilization and there's very little wildlife out there. So, you know, it's just you and your drone and usually we're sending them up, you know, right before sunrise and you get that incredible, you know, that earth shadow and then you've got all this canyon and rock and when the light first hits the top of the landscape, it creates all of these interesting patterns and you know these long shadows and it's super fun <laughs> I, I would love to do that i would absolutely love to do it i mean i, I have to say i hate them with a passion oh for I'm sure somewhere <laughs> in, and you, you, that buzz 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 i take it they're, they're still as noisy as they ever were are they they haven't managed to uh, better i mean i use a um air 2s which is it's not crazy loud um <laughs> i don't know like like i said i fly it away from there's never people around when i'm flying and so you mm-hmm. and then me personally i don't like the sound of either but like within 20 seconds you can't hear it so it's fine oh okay oh that's not so bad yeah but yeah it's um i don't know it, the the only reason i brought that up is because that was a really helpful way for me to break out of kind of a creative slump you know mm-hmm. in terms of you know doing the same thing i've always done and getting the same results. So it's been really fun just incorporating that into my trips and things like that. So I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, it's probably not going to work for me in this little village because again, I'll be back into the, back at the same situation with street photography, but uh, right. for when, there's for that lady with her loud be. drone again. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, awesome. Um, one last, couple of last questions for you. I'd love for you to tell us about uh, your book, which is called "We May as Well Dance." Oh, okay. Thank you for asking. Um, I, I did a book oh, about twenty sixteen. I think it was a, a small, uh, a small book um, about uh, Blossom, and I was still very new to this way of shooting. And I sort of look back at it now, and. Um, Again, if one sees the mistakes and how it could have been better. I had an idea, because it was such a small volume, there weren't many images in it, it was 30 pages or something. I sort of felt that I maybe I wanted to do something else, but hadn't really um, gone much beyond that. I, I knew that there was a publisher in the UK who was happy to, uh, to support me with it. Um, and when COVID came along and, and, and lockdown, um, although I have to say that, that Doug and I were busier than we've, we've ever been. Uh, we suddenly took all our teaching online and we couldn't keep up with demands. And um, Every now and again, we'd hear stories of people saying, oh, I've 
kick back on the sofa and I've watched 10 box sets this week and oh, it's been great. Love, love all this. And we were doing 80 hour week, week sometimes and we were just exhausted. Um, and some, for some reason, um, in the middle of all this, I thought, you know, this is an extraordinary experience. Why don't I do a book? You know, not many, you know, it's a sort of, it's a once in a lifetime thing that we're going through. Um, so I got in touch with the publisher and he liked the idea and, um, uh, off I went. Um, I, I chose the title. The title is a is a Japanese proverb uh, or saying, uh, which goes, uh, we'll, "We're fools whether we dance or not, so we may as well dance." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I came up with this. I think it was the first Christmas during lockdown, where people were just about sick to the back teeth and throwing caution to the wind and all that sort of stuff. Um, but of course, then I had to get the content, um, and I wanted to because my style tends to meander all over the place. It has got a lot of consistency, generally. Um, I'd split the book up into chapters. Um, this one sort of dealt with the isolation. Um, one dealt with, um, you know, that, that Christmas and sort of trying to party and what have you, all, all in a very abstract way. Um, uh, but halfway through, um, my mum, who came over to stay with us for her 90th birthday um, and then stayed for that Christmas, um, by the time January came, um, and she was due to go back home, it became clear that she lives in Jersey or lived in Jersey in the Channel Islands. Um, there was something very wrong. And long story short, um, it turned out that she had um, vascular dementia, which progressed mm. actually very quickly. Um, within six months, she died. But uh, Bill and I, my husband and I, um, we had her at home and, and we cared for her. As very slowly, she retreated into a very different kind of bubble. Um and, um, you know, I thought, well, not to document this in the book would, you know, I can't not say anything about this because this is clearly it's monumental. I, you know, it's just something I never, ever expected I'd be doing. And, and, and um, it, you know, it needs to be, I need to try to process this somehow. And certainly making images was one way of doing so. Um, but then the question uh, arose, well, you know, how are you going to do that? And I know that there are a lot of people who have photographed dying parents very, very sensitively, you know, in the final stages mm-hmm. of Alzheimer's or whatever. But I didn't want to do it that way. I mean, it, it, stylistically, it wasn't right. And informed consent, you know, was mm. not going to be forthcoming anyway. Um, so I, I went about it in a much more abstract way and um, tried to use metaphor, uh, uh, both within the content and also the titles and what I wrote. I don't know. I mean... The trouble is with something like metaphor, you know, to some people it's very clumsy and obvious and to, to others it's so subtle as to not be, you know, worth worth mentioning. So, you know, whether or not I achieved uh, what I wanted to, um, I don't know, time will tell. I haven't been able to look at the book since it came out. It's sort of a bit too soon, really. I opened it and obviously, you know, what you see on your lovely backlit screen is one thing, but what you see on the printed page is something completely mm. different. Nice. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's sold pretty well. So um, I'm sort of pleased I've done it, but... Um, it's it's just a bit you know I can't I can't look at it yet because it's it's too it's too close I'm too close to it. Yeah. Well, sorry sorry you had to go through that, but I also super happy that you chose to take it that direction. Yeah, I mean it, you know creativity helps, and I suppose because uh, uh, generally the I guess the age of the people that I'm teaching tends to be between maybe 55 and 70 give or take and oddly mm. enough in the last 15 18 months 
the number of people who are going through something similar with a with a aging parent you know they, they're getting sick they're looking after them they're dying and so we talk about how creatively they might try to sort of channel you know um, their feelings into into their work um, and pretty much everybody seems to find it quite helpful so we're incredibly lucky that you know we've got this outlet uh, for our emotions I think in your book, do you have any uh, written prose that clues the viewer into knowing that's what that part of the book is about? Yeah, each uh, I think I think each chapter has got um, it's got some text, it's got some prose. Um, there are some quotes in there by famous artists. There's some a couple of lines of poetry. There's quite a lot of text from somebody considerably less famous, i.e., me. Um, it's, it's very hard, you know. At, I think it's it's important to realise. I know today that we're all sort of expected to be able to write about our work eloquently. And, of course, not everybody can do that. You know, we've gone into photography because we like to express ourselves visually rather than verbally. Mm-hmm. But, again, the current aesthetic is that, you know, you write about your work as well. And that's quite a big ask, I think. Um, I mean, I, I kept it to an absolute minimum. Um, it's obviously for the viewer to decide whether or not it sort of enhances or whether it's toe curling or, you know, something in between. Um, right. But, but yeah, just there, like, there was. Like, oh, the, like they obviously just made that up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and also, you know, it, it's especially with conceptual work and, and statements of intent, you know, one person's arty bollocks, if you'll excuse the phrase, is somebody else's erudite and considered point of view. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, again, this is something else that, that we discuss at length, you know, how exactly we're going to, you know, how we catch our language, how we catch our ideas, what sort of language you use. Um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're perhaps led to believe that we have to you know, pontificate at length and make these incomprehensible statements. But you, you really just have to be true to yourself and speak. If you speak from the heart, I think you're not going to go far wrong. You're not going to please everybody, but at least you will have retained your integrity. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm in this uh, this Discord channel with a bunch of other nature photographers, and we were actually talking about this recently in terms of uh, what what we want people to say about our work or how we want um, it to impact them or, or like what our intent is with our images. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because some people were like, I, I have, I don't have any intent with my images. I just, I'm reacting to what I see and I'm creating mm-hmm. it and hopefully people enjoy it. Or, and, and, and then if someone has a narrative, their viewer has a, if it means something else to the viewer, that's great. But so I, th- I just think that's a really interesting topic to, 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 um, I don't know, to digest a little bit. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm really lucky. I, I get to spend a lot of time with an awful lot of photographers and they all rock up on a workshop, I suppose, because they're trying to find a, a way forward. Um, it, you know, it's just multiple exposure and ICM or, or alternative techniques. Although I have to say that only about, 20% of what we teach is, is is technical. The rest of it is developing your artistic vision, if you like, and, uh, you know, studying other art forms and, and, and trying to um, find ideas, find a way forward, um, develop your thoughts, exactly. And, and you know, uh, it's it's all about these philosophical debates, um, which have no no easy answer. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a fascinating way to, to spend, spend one's time. I would say that the technical side of uh, photography and, and certainly the relative merits of, of one lens over another or one camera body over another 
it used to interest me in the past, but but these days not so much. And I'm really glad that I don't have to sort of engage in all that with the teaching that I do. We we talk about you know, art and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, and it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, awesome, Paula. Uh, last question is, who would you recommend for the podcast? Who would our listeners want to learn more about? Okay. Um, so I'm I'm going to uh, mention my uh, teaching partner, Doug Chinnery. We've sort of been on this journey together, uh, developing ideas and, and, and pushing away at boundaries, uh, channeling and a new way forward new i don't want to use the word new because there's nothing new under the sun but undoubtedly cameras can do something that they couldn't do 20 years ago so in many respects it is it is new ground um and you know we teach together he's a great friend and i admire his work enormously um the other person that i mentioned is chris friel um and um he's it's just a brilliant artist he's a brilliant creative um he is somebody who he, I think he's a restless soul. He's always coming up with new ideas. You know, he'll 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 cotton onto something and he'll pursue that till the cows come home. And then all of a sudden he'll do a complete about turn. He's 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 putting out other work, different work. Maybe it's made in a camera. Maybe it's artificial intelligence. Maybe it's you know I don't, I don't know what he does anymore. Um, but what I do know is he's got this brilliantly creative brain. He's got an enormous amount of work on his website. I think he's taken over a million images or something ridiculous. I mean, I think, unfortunately, I find the, the website really difficult to navigate. I just don't know where to start. Um, but if anybody is interested in looking at his work, I really recommend going back to, firstly, his early work with his ICM um, images, and, and uh, it was all black and white then. And then he moved on to multiple exposure, um, and he's just gone off on all sorts of different talent, uh, tangents. Um, and, and I love to... Um, I'd love to see where he's going to go next. Mm. And the other person, I mean, I, you know, many people I admire, but um, Graham Cook is a friend of mine. And also um, he, he used to be a graphic designer. So I guess the style of his art um, appeals to me. He's an incredibly talented painter, um, but he's got a brilliant, I suppose, because of his, his career, he's got a brilliant eye for composition, shape and colour. And those relationships, and these are all things that, uh, interests me. I don't really know how he wakes his work, but it's very, very abstract. Um, it, it's quite um, punchy, strong, strong colours, uh, interesting shapes and textures. Um, so he's somebody else, and, and he's, he's a great guy as well. So um, I'm sure he'd give you a, a wonderful interview. Brilliant. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and um, hopefully, well, I, I know people. We'll really like this this episode. So thank you so much for taking the time to do it. Oh, I really appreciate you you, you inviting me. It's um it's very kind. It's a great honor to be here. Um, I hope people, as I said at the start, I tend to talk quite fast. Especially this isn't my natural habitat being interviewed, <laughs> um, and I tend to you know talk fast with a with a British accent. So hopefully, um, I've managed to slow it down a bit and you can understand what I'm saying. But thank oh, you yeah. very much. It's been it's been great fun. I've really enjoyed it. Well, thank you to Valda for the authentic conversation on ICM, multiple exposure, and your creative approaches to making photographs. I really had a great time and I hope you did as well. 
If you enjoyed our conversation, we recorded a bonus episode for our Patreon supporters where we discussed an amazing blog post from Valda entitled Location, 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 where she examined location-based learning and image making versus subject or conceptually based image making. It was a great chat. Well, I want to tell y'all what's coming up, but first I want to thank our Patreon producers. These are people that are supporting the podcast at $20 per month or more, and they are the backbone of what keeps the podcast alive. If you can, please visit the podcast webpage on my website and spend some time on their websites, which I've linked for you there. Without further ado, here is a list of some amazing people. Eric Stensland, D. Craig Young, Anton Everine, William Nurse, Gary Randall, Rob Patterson, Dan Hawk, Kathy Rodriguez, Drew Armstrong, Chuck Mora, Joshua Wallace, Michael Damiola, Richard Wong, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, Jeff Risher, Mark Gardner, Serena Jackson, John Norris, Craig McCord, Timothy Floyd, Suzanne Mathia, John Whitaker, Adam Bulliard, Jennifer King, Jacob Buchowski, J. Fritz Rumpf, Charlie Vandenbrack, Jose Panacook, Matthew Bailey, Roger Nadell, Alex Morley, and Zach Mathai. I love y'all. I also want to thank our most recent supporters, which includes Ilan Shacham and Kevin Van Buren. I appreciate you. You're all helping me get closer to my goal of reaching 200 supporters on Patreon. If you are listening and you can help out, I'd really, really appreciate it. Cheers. Coming up next are some really great episodes. We have Deirdre Rosenberg, a wildlife and conservation photographer here in Colorado. Karen Waller, an Australian portrait and landscape photographer, producing some quite interesting work. Norman McCloskey, an Ireland photographer who owns his own gallery, and he makes a lot of awesome books. Candace Watson and David Thompson join me for Artists Asking Artists number two. And finally, Martin Gonzalez, an L.A.-based photographer who loves rocks and patterns. I look forward to sharing all of those episodes with you. As a reminder, if you are a Patreon supporter at $10 a month or more, you get access to all of our episodes early. For example, today's episode came out on September 19th, but I released it on Patreon on August 13th. This is a great way to get a lot of bingeable content before a trip. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.